C.S. Lewis said, pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. That's really a paraphrase. More of the actual quote is that God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. That's from The Problem of Pain by C.S. Lewis, which is a uh, really profound, profound work. In this life, we, we, all, we all know that in this life there are lots of things that bring us pain and that bring us grief. We don't have to look very far to find it, uh, and whether we are looking for it or not, it finds us, right? And it's, it's not just the passing of a loved one that brings grief or that is associated with the word or concept of grief, though that's, that's usually what we associate, right, with the word. When we, we think of grief, we immediately think of the grief associated with losing a loved one, and, and that's understandable because of just how horrible that kind of grief and pain is. There, there really is no greater pain uh, than losing a loved one, having to say goodbye. Many, many of you have walked through that, and many of you multiple times. Many of you are dealing with that right now. You're, you're literally in the recent aftermath of that particular kind of grief and that kind of pain. There are lots of sources of grief and lots of sources of pain. Uh, it's, as I said, it's, it's not just losing a loved one, though that is up there in the list. But maybe that's not the kind of grief you've been going through or the kind of pain you're experiencing. Maybe it's the loss of a job. That, that produces grief. You grieve over losing the job, which in many ways becomes a, a vital part of our whole identity because of how much time we spend doing our job. Maybe it's family issues, trouble with your children, that causes you grief. Maybe it's problems with your spouse and and the relationship conflict with a marriage. That certainly is a profound source of grief and pain. Maybe it's physical. Uh, If you have a physical ailment or a long-term disease, that causes you not just physical pain, but emotional pain, and it causes you grief. You grieve over the pain you're, you're experiencing. Maybe it's financial, and you've, you've got a, a financial crisis that you're going through. That certainly produces grief of a, of a certain kind. So whatever grief you are experiencing or have experienced, whatever pain you're dealing with or have dealt with, whenever we experience significant grief of any kind, questions come to our mind. Questions rise up in our heart. And those questions in one form or another are probably, where is God in this? Where is God in all of this? What is He doing? You've asked that, haven't you? 
Again, many of you are probably asking it right now. You're still asking that question. You're still wondering. You're still looking for the answer to that question. Where is God in all of this? What is He doing? What is He up to? Why has He brought this into my life? Why has He led me down this path? It's a fair question. And I want to encourage you that it's okay to ask those questions. God's shoulders are broad enough to carry those questions. And He knows you're thinking them anyway. We don't have to look very far in Scripture to see people asking the same kind of questions, and questions out of deep emotion and and anguish, and even, yes, anger. Look at the Psalms. (laughs) Line after line is David being real with God, asking very, very hard questions. And God was all right with that. The key in asking those questions is to make sure, though, that you look in the right place for the answers. And that's to God Himself and to His Word. But those are are probably some of the questions you've asked and have been wrestling with uh, in our more spiritual and clear-minded moments, we, we might ask a, a better question. We might ask, what does He want to show me in this situation? Uh, through this set of circumstances that is causing me grief and it is causing me pain, but what does He want to show me? God, what do You want to show me through this? That's in our more spiritual moments. What does He want me to learn about Himself through this? That's a really good question to ask. It's a hard question to get to. To go from where is God in this to what does God want to show me about Himself? What does He want me to learn about Himself through this? Uh, Those are different stages, but they're all very good questions. Thankfully, Thankfully, we can find some of those answers by focusing on God's Word. He gives us answers to those kinds of questions in His Word. That's what we're going to do in this series. The series is Finding God in Our Grief. And we're going to start things off by by looking at a very specific thing that God is is doing uh, in our grief and by what He does and how He reacts and responds in grief. And so to start things off, we're going to find that God is grieved by what causes grief. That's what we're going to see first off as we begin this series. As we we seek to find God in our grief, we're going to see first of all that God is grieved by what causes grief. He's grieved by what causes grief. Let's pray together as we look into this. Father, I thank You for who You are. I thank You for who You are. And I thank You for what You are. We are made in Your image, and that certainly does not mean anything physical. We're made to have the capacity for emotion, for reason, for thinking, and for feeling, as You do. You are a God who feels. You are a God who experiences emotion, and emotion and emotional responses in themselves are not evil. 
They are a gift from you. You are a God of emotion. And so we are made in your image so that we can too feel deeply. The problem, of course, Father, is that sin pollutes that, and taints it, and contaminates it, and causes those deep feelings to go in a, in a direction that you did not intend, and that certainly is not true of you, because you're not ruled by your emotion. And Father, I pray that as we talk about grief, and, it's, and we think about the different forms of it and the different reasons for it, I pray that as we look into Your Word, as we see what You do with grief and through grief, may we really clearly see You and Your heart. May we see Your heart as we view it through the lens of something we are all so familiar with, grief. So guide us, please, through Your Word. Illuminate Your Word by Your Spirit. And please apply Your Word personally to every single individual here. Meet them where they are in the process of grief. Grief, whatever is causing their grief, whether it's physical or, or mental or emotional, relational, the recent passing of a dear loved one, whatever it is that is causing grief and the pain of that, meet them there, please, Father. And lift up their head so that they can see You clearly through it. I pray that for all of us. And we will give You praise and glory for all that You do. In Jesus' name, Amen. So, we're going to see that God is grieved by what causes grief. And specifically, what I mean by that is that God is always grieved by the sin that causes all our grief. God is always grieved by the sin that causes all our grief. Which is what sin does. That's exactly what sin does. And it's important for us to make that connection. It's important for us to understand that sin is the main source, the main source of our grief. It's behind all the things that cause us to experience pain and, and to deal with grief. Those things that I, I mentioned just a few minutes ago, and you can fill in the blank, you know, whatever it is that you have been dealing with or, or uh, have dealt with recently. There are so many different sources and, and causes of grief. But at the heart of it all, behind every specific experience of grief, I want you to understand, church, it all comes back to sin. Sin is at the root of it all. Original sin causes all the other uh, experiences with pain and with grief that we have as we go through life. Sin, get this, sin is not just an action we commit. Sin is not just something we, we think or we say or we do. I mean, that's usually what we associate with sin. And, and sin is certainly those things, but it is not limited to those things. It is not just an action or a reaction. Sin is not just something that we do or that is done to us. Sin is actually what saturates every aspect of our life and our world. 
It's everything. It's what we live in. It's every corner of creation. On a beautiful day like this, as beautiful as this is, it's still tainted by sin and the effects of sin. You can't escape it. You can't outrun it. It's a completely all-pervasive pollution. And so the effects of sin are are far-reaching. And they are the reason we have grief and pain in this world and in this life. And always will until God makes it all new. Like we talked about you know, last week as we ended the series. A new reality. All that God's going to make new. A day is coming when there will be no more sin that we can do and no more sin that we are affected by in terms of, of it affecting everything around us. That day is coming, but that day is not yet. That day is not yet. And so in this day and in this time and in this life, we are saturated by and inundated with sin and its effects. And that, that is what always grieves God the most. God is grieved by the cause of all our grief, which is sin. Let me show you what I mean by, by having you look in God's Word. Genesis 3 is one of the the saddest, even though it's one of the earlier, it's one of the saddest chapters and accounts in all the Bible because it is the tragedy of the fall of perfection. The fall of perfect man. The ruining of God's perfect creation. We don't know how long it took from Adam and Eve being created and all the perfect environment of Eden to the time of their sin and their fall. We don't know how much time elapsed, but But it's safe to say it wasn't that long before everything was undone. And most of you, if not all of you, know uh, the, the important details of that tragic story that there was the one tree in the middle of the garden. Adam and Eve had one, one command. Don't eat of it. There's that tree in the middle of the garden. You have everything else at your disposal No restrictions and no limits on anything except that one tree. Don't eat of it. Simple, right? Easy. On the surface. There wasn't a whole lot that was expected. Enter Satan in the form of the serpent. That's when you you hear the classic... Uh, music, the, the notes on the piano that signify something bad's going to happen. You know, dun, dun, dun. He enters the scene. He tempts Eve. He says, look at that tree. Man, doesn't that look good. Well, actually, now that you mention it, yeah, it sure does. Man, wouldn't that be good to experience that? You know what? If you do, your eyes will be opened. And that's really Eve. That's why God didn't want you to eat that. You know, that's really what's behind that restriction. God, he just... He's insecure, Eve. He doesn't want you to be like him. And he knows that's what's going to happen when you eat it. Your eyes are going to be open. You'll have all perfect reason. You'll, you'll, you'll be like God. And, and he doesn't want that to happen. Go ahead. Just give it, give it a try. She looks. She sees that it's pleasing to the eye, appealing in terms of the food itself, knows that it, it Hears what what the serpent says and thinks, yeah, that would be pretty good to be as wise as God. And then there's Adam. Oh, Adam. He's right there with her, the text tells us. 
She, gave, she took of the fruit, ate, and gave to her husband who was there with her also. Instead of being the shepherd of the family he should have been and chasing the serpent away or trying to chop its head off right then and there and telling Eve to drop it, instead of that, he says, oh, okay, <laughs> sure, Eve, whatever you want, sweetie. And then everything changes. Yeah, and their eyes were open, and they realized the glory that they were surrounded by, the perfect glory of God that they were saturated by, has now been replaced, and they are now saturated by sin, which completely veils God's glory. And they run and they hide. And at the time of the evening breeze, the standing appointment that they had to walk and talk with their Creator face to face, that time came like it always had, But this time, they weren't ready to receive Him. They were hiding from Him. And He calls out, Adam, where are you? And Adam says, I hid when I heard the sound of you in the garden because I was naked. He'd already been naked. He meant he was without the glory of God that he had. Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat? Yeah, but, but it was this woman that you gave me. And we've been blaming ever since. So he turns to the woman. He says, is this true? Yes, but, but, but it was the serpent. Blame game. And the long story made short, God curses Eve. The effects of her sinful choice. He curses Adam and the effects of his sinful choice. He curses the serpent. He curses the ground. He curses all of creation because of man's sin. And then we pick up in verse 21. Genesis 3.21 Then Yahweh God Then Yahweh God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. You see, before that, Adam and Eve made this feeble attempt to take care of their own problem by sewing together fig leaves as a replacement covering for the glory that they had now lost. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23 tells us. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're, we're without the glory. We're missing the mark of the glory of God. They tried to cover themselves with fig leaves, just like we all try to cover ourselves on our own, and it doesn't work. It didn't work for them. So God made garments of skin and clothed them. Where did He get the garments of skin? Where did He get those? What else was in the garden with Adam and Eve? What other life was there? Animals, right? which Adam had named. God brought all the animals to Adam, and he, he wanted, he, the text tells us, and he, he watched to see what Adam would name them, and that's whatever name they had. Isn't that it's just beautiful? And so, here's Adam and Eve. They've sinned. They've fallen. They can't cover themselves. They're helpless even to do that. So God takes another life, an innocent animal life that didn't eat of the tree, didn't rebel against God, had committed no sin, and yet an animal was killed for the sake of Adam and Eve. You had 
immediately the effect of their sin on something else. Immediately you see that their sin and the effects of it weren't limited to themselves. It affected something else outside of them, which is what sin always does. Our sin is never just a problem for us. It always causes problems for other people and other things. So right away you see a sacrifice that needed to be made. And right away, I want to suggest to you, even though it's not written here in the text, right away you see a a God who is grieving. It absolutely had to grieve God's heart at a deep, deep level. For, for multiple reasons. I mean, here, the, the grief, certainly the main source of grief here would have been his, his choice, his, his precious, his pinnacle of creation, Adam and Eve, sinning against him and rebelling against him and, and doing what they did. That, that certainly would have pierced his heart. But then he takes an animal that he made, one of his creations and he, his creatures, and he had to sacrifice it for Adam and Eve. So immediately there's death where death had not been. Immediately there's death and suffering where there was never intended to be. Yeah, God was grieved. God was grieved. And He was grieving, certainly most of all, for the sin that now caused all of this to happen. Verse 22, then Yahweh God said, and this is an evidence of the Trinity, he's, he's, he's speaking within his own divine counsel of the, the Trinity, the three in one. Then Yahweh God said, behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he send forth his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. In other words, if he does that, he will be locked in to this sin forever, for all of eternity with nothing to reverse it. We cannot let that happen. You see God's divine intervention of grace and mercy. Lest he send forth his hand and take ulcer from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Verse 23, Therefore, Yahweh God sent him out, sent Adam and Eve out from the Garden of Eden, to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. It, uh, at first glance, that sounds like this harsh, horrible punishment, right? Like, okay, God in His anger, He's just expelling them out now from the garden. That's not the case. Don't see harshness. See mercy. Because that's what this was. Because He didn't want them to live forever in this now fallen state. Therefore, God sent Him out from the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. Verse 24, So he drove the man out, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. That it also, I want to suggest to you, church, that also would have grieved the heart of God. To have to expel Adam and Eve from the garden that he placed them in. The garden where he had met with them face-to-face, walking, talking in the, in the cool of the day. This perfect environment, this perfect creation that He had raised up and put Adam and Eve in to reign and rule and fellowship with Him. Now He's sending them away from it. Yes, God was grieved. God was grieved. And he was most grieved at sin and what it cost. 
from there, sin just kept spreading and saturating all of creation and all of the world. And every, every person that was born from Adam and Eve and from their descendants was born immediately into this sinful state and saturated by sin. And it just got worse. It just kept getting worse. To the point where in Genesis 6, we see a, a horrible and, and really unthinkable display of sin. I won't go into all of the details there, but uh, it'd be an interesting study for you to do sometime on, on what's taking place in the opening verses of Genesis 6. But there was a, a horrible, horrible, concentrated evil and, and act of sin that then resulted in greater violence and greater sin and, and all kinds of, of lawlessness and, and violence and murder. And it got to the point where we pick up this verse, Genesis 6-5. Look at that with me. Genesis 6-5 and 6. As a result of all that, that happened and all the the elevation of evil and sin with mankind. Verse 5 says this, Then Yahweh saw that the evil of man was great on the earth. And look at this. Don't miss this part. And that every intent or every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. In other words, every single motivation, every single thought, every single aim and purpose of man was only evil continually. That's total depravity. Total depravity. That's not man being basically good, but every now and then making mistakes. No, this is, this is the true state of mankind after sin, where it saturates and permeates every corner of our being and every corner of creation. The, every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Never a moment where there was not sin. Whew. Verse 6, And Yahweh regretted, regretted, that he had made man on the earth, and he, don't miss this, was grieved in his heart. God grieves. God grieves. But most of all, God grieves at the sin that causes all our grief. He makes that connection all the time. We need to make that connection all the time, too. We need to see through through the grief that is in front of us and see through the pain that it's causing and we need to see the bigger, broader picture beyond that which is sin. Why am I going through this? Why has this happened? Why is this and this and this? And fill in the blank of all that is going on and all the pain that you're suffering. Look past all of that and the ultimate answer is sin. Therefore, Christian, you and I should hate our sin all the more knowing the effects of it. Knowing what it causes. As you grieve, as you go through that pain, use that. let, let God use that in your life to actually cause you to hate sin even more than you did before your grief. Make that connection. 
make that connection. This certainly was not just an Old Testament thing and, and our, our seeing God grieving over the cause of all our grief, which is sin, is not something that was just on display uh, from the Old Testament. I want to take you to the New Testament now to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. We'll pick up in verse 30, but let me just set the stage and the scene for you. Um, Jesus had a very close family that, that he was so close to that they were like family. And then any time he was around the area, he would make a point to go and stay with them. He, he kind of used their home as a, a rest, a vacation spot, if you will, to get away from the pressures of ministry and, and just to, to rest and recover and enjoy their, their, their company and their time. They, they were siblings, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And he was especially close to Lazarus. And it wasn't just him. His disciples were close to this family as well. They became very precious to the whole group. And word came to Jesus that his friend Lazarus was, was very, very sick. And they called for Jesus to come quickly. And the whole point of that would have been so that he could heal Lazarus, just as he had healed countless others. And Jesus didn't come right away. He waited. And he tells his disciples, our friend Lazarus is sick. He's sick. And we're going to go and uh, we're going we're gonna to go and see him. We're going we're gonna to help him. And, and the disciples said, well, wait, if he's just sick, he's going to get better. And Jesus said, actually, he's, he's fallen asleep. And they said, well, then he'll wake up and he'll be fine. And, and Jesus said, no, he, what I mean is Lazarus has died. But it's okay. I'm going to go and I'm going to wake him up. And so they went at the protest of the original protest of the disciples because they knew that the Jews were, were trying to kill him and they didn't want him to be in harm's way. But they all went. And verse 30, as he's making his way into the village, he's not quite there yet, and Martha comes running out, and she falls at Jesus' feet, and she's in anguish, and she said, Lord, why, why did you wait? Why did you delay? If you had been here, if you had been here when I called you to come, my brother wouldn't have died. You would have prevented it. I know that. Why, why didn't you come? Haven't you asked that question in some form? I have. I did. Sometimes still do. God, why didn't you show up when my loved one was going through what they were going through when they got the diagnosis, when they got the prognosis, when this treatment failed and this treatment failed and this procedure didn't work? Where were you, God? thought you were good. If you had shown up like I've, I expected you to, if you, if you had displayed all of your power like I read page after page in your Word of all the things you've done and did for all those people, if you had done that for me, we would be in a different situation right now. You've asked that, right? You've thought that. You've screamed at God. 
Martha falls down broken. Where were you? Why didn't you come? And then verse 30. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and consoling her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, they followed her thinking that she was going to the tomb to cry there. Therefore, when Mary, you know, the other sister, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him the same thing her sister had, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 33, when Jesus therefore saw her crying, and the Jews who came with her also crying, they were professional mourners, by the way, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. Now, this is another case where our English language just does not do the passage in the original language and the original intent and what was going on here justice. It doesn't convey it. Deeply moved. I mean, we, we know what it is to be deeply moved and, and uh, upset and, and all of that. We get that, but, but there's so much more behind this phrase. Let me just zero in on this for a minute because it, it's so... It's so full of meaning and it's rich and, and it points to what we've already been talking about in terms of the cause of grief. Deeply moved, that, that phrase, or whatever the translation that you're reading from says, it would be something similar. Uh, deeply moved there in the original Greek is this. Anybody want to? No? Okay. So, yeah, that's, that's how it would actually be written in Greek. And transliterated, it's, it's pronounced uh, embrimaomai. Embrimaomai. And it means literally to snort with anger. To snort with anger. Like, like a horse or a, a bull does. You know, I mean, something like that. When, they, when they're really agitated, you know. Snorting with anger. It means to be indignant, outraged. It's a, it's a very violent, angry ex- expression and reaction. That's what actually was going on here with Jesus when it says He was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. Embrimaomai. He was indignant. He was outraged. Raged. Verse 34, he said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Why was this the reaction of Jesus in verse 33? When, when he sees Mary crying, and he, he had seen Martha crying, and he sees the professional mourners and all this grief and all this sorrow, which is all very understandable. Why did he react? Why was he moved in spirit in a way that was indignant and outraged? Why was that his reaction? What was he reacting so violently against? Sin. Not Sin on the part of Mary or Martha, that don't, don't get that. 
They were not sinning in their grief. They were not sinning even in their question of Jesus. That, that, that wasn't sin, and that's not what I mean by saying it was sin that caused his response. What I mean by saying it was sin, and that's what prompted this reaction, it was Jesus who is very God. It was Jesus who is the Creator. He's the one that created all of life and all the universe. It was Him who created Adam and Eve. It was Him who created the Garden of Eden and placed them there. It was Him who gave them the command not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was Him who went to walk with them and found them hidden. It was Him who killed that animal to make garments of skin. And it was Him who expelled them out of the garden in mercy. Jesus, the incarnate Jesus, the the physical man Jesus, was the incarnation of Yahweh Himself. So it was Jesus, the friend of Martha and Mary and Lazarus, who was also the Lord of all creation. And it was Him seeing in this moment sin and its effect on His creation. That's why he had the response he did. That's why he was indignant and outraged. It wasn't indignant and outraged against Mary and Martha and the mourning and the grieving. That's not why he was angry. He was angry over what sin had done to his creation and his precious ones. And that, my friends, that needs to be our reaction to. That needs to be our response as well. We need to see sin as so insidious and so horrible and putrid that we we go as far as possible away from it. Not close to the edge to see how far we can get and and not sin before we topple over into it. Oh, 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 I'm close. Oh, I'm close to sinning, but I'm not there yet. I haven't sinned quite yet. I'm good. Get a little bit closer. No! We need to be as far away from sin as possible. We need to hate it with a hot, holy hatred the way our Savior does. That was the cause, ultimately, of Mary and Martha's grief. That's the cause of all grief. It's sin and the effects of it. We grieve. We grieve because of sin. We hope because of Jesus. We grieve because of sin. All the different ways we grieve and all the different reasons that we grieve, whatever grief might be occupying your mind or heart this morning, whatever it is, at the root of it is sin. And we grieve because of sin. But please don't forget the next part. We hope because of Jesus. You're going to grieve in this life, and I'm going to grieve, and and we will always have cause for grief in this life, in this world, until God calls us out of this life, or until He comes and, and makes it all new. We will have grief. But in the midst of our grief, Christian, you have hope. And you have cause for hope. Grief causes sin, but you have cause for hope in the midst of your grief. And His name is Jesus. Hope has a name. Do you know it? Do you know Him? Do you know Him this morning? 
1 Corinthians 15, verses 56 and 57, the Apostle Paul says this, Now the sting of death is sin. We've, we've talked about that already quite a bit this morning. The cause of our grief is sin. Now the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Verse 57. <laughs> but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law and it's, a, it's great and it's heavy and it's horrible, but you are not dominated by it if you're in Christ. You, you aren't just endlessly at the, at the whim of, of sin and the effect of it. You're not helpless and hopeless against the grief as strong as the grief might be. You have victory through all of that and it's through Jesus Christ. And we also see that back, back in the conversation that Jesus had with Martha, with Mary. Back before he went to the scene that, that we just read, where he was indignant with anger, before that, back before he came in and, and met with, Mar- with Mary, He's back with, with Martha, and he says this, verse 25, John eleven twenty five. back in that chapter, John eleven twenty five. Jesus said to her, this is when she's questioning, she falls down, and she asks the same question that later her sister, her, her sister Mary would ask. And in response, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Because she had said, I, I know my brother will rise again, I know it'll happen. Sometime far off, there will be a day, the resurrection will happen, and, and he says, no. <laughs> I mean, yes, that will happen, but, but no, resurrection is before you. Resurrection is right now. Resurrection is possible before that far off day. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die, ever. Do you believe this? See, that, that's, that's the, the way he responded to her question. Where were you? Why didn't you come? If you had been here, my brother would not have died. He responded with this statement and this very, very, very important question. I am the resurrection and the life. Don't wait for this far-off, vague occurrence in the future. Look at me and know in me that you can experience resurrection and the life. That even if, if death takes you, which death will take every single person, all because of what happened in the garden, Adam and Eve introduced death, so death spread to all men. So everyone will die. But if everyone lives before death in Jesus, then death cannot hold them. Death cannot conquer them because death did not hold or conquer Jesus. So everyone who believes in me, Jesus said, will live even if he dies. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die ever. Do you believe this? And my friends, that that is the question before all of us. It's a question everyone has to answer. Do you believe this? 
to believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, and that even when you die, if you have given your life to Him, that you pass through death into life. Everyone has to answer that question that he left with her. Do you believe this? And it needs to be answered before we are faced with something that causes us pain and grief. Don't wait until you're in the midst of intense pain and intense grief to answer that question. Do I believe Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Answer that before you go into a time of of pain and trial and grief. And if our answer is a sincere yes, if you answer yes to that question, do you believe this? That makes all the difference. It makes all the difference. You can say to God, I wish you would have intervened in a different way. I wish you would have caused this to come out differently. But you can say through that and after that, And after your questioning, you can come back to say, but I know whom I have believed in. And He is able to keep that which I've committed in Him and to Him against that day. makes all the difference if you answer that sincerely, yes. And answering yes to that question that Jesus asked, do you believe this? Do you believe me? Do you believe I'm enough? Do you believe that I am resurrection and life? Do you believe that all of your hope is found in me? If you answer yes to that, not only does it make the difference for eternity, but it makes the difference in the here and now because that gives us access to the power that we need to sustain us. As we face grief, as we go through grief, answering yes to the question of who Jesus is, Do we really believe He is who He says He is? That gives us the the power to sustain us. Do you believe this? I hope you answer yes. If you have not answered yes to who Jesus is, if, if He is not your resurrection in life, then today is your chance. Today is your chance to say now, yes, yes, Jesus, I believe. I believe you are the resurrection and the life. I believe you are the only resurrection and the life. Please raise me to new life. Raise me to life in you. I give you my life. Please give me eternal life in exchange. And if you say that with all sincerity, the Bible tells us you are a new creation and you don't have to fear death any longer. And even as you face death yourself or with a loved one, you have what you need to get through it only in Him. Let's pray together. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for showing us that You are a God who grieves. But it's not just open-ended. You are a God who grieves over the cause of all of our grief, which is sin. Help us to grieve the same way. Help us to make that connection. Help us to grieve over sin the way You do. And may we grieve our own personal sin. May we not just try to ignore it or pretend it's not a big deal. May we not try to sweep our sin under the rug and just go on and pretend like it's not there. May we grieve our sin knowing that it grieves You. But Father, don't let us just stay there. 
as we have hope in grief that you will bring us through it through Jesus, as we have hope that grief is not all there is, that there is hope beyond it, help us also to have hope in knowing that when we sin, in Jesus there is forgiveness and there is cleansing. We don't have to be defeated by guilt. Thank You for giving us all we need in Jesus. And I pray that if there is anyone who has not given their lives to Him, that today, this moment, would be the time they do. That they can experience resurrection life here and now in this life. And then when they close their eyes to this life, they'll wake. Their eyes will be open and made new in the glory of eternity, all because of Him. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.